Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, a report on and analysis of the congressional hearings for Supreme Court candidate Katanji Brown Jackson. She has been accused by Republicans of anything from being soft on crime to being lenient to child pornographers to using critical race theory in deciding her cases to having to define what is a woman. And Katanji Brown Jackson, a Harvard graduate, was asked about her test scores. Senator Cory Booker's impassioned comments on her behalf caused tears inside and outside of the hearing. Our guests are attorney Barbara Arnwine and journalist Laura Carlson. And for our weekly Earth Watch, we focus on critical environmental issues in South Africa, Swaziland, and Mozambique. Specifically, we will discuss the timber industry and the struggle against deforestation as well as agroforestry and soil sustainability. Our guest is Philip Owen, environmental activist and founding member of Geosphere, which is registered in South Africa. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated, so on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky called for military assistance without limitations during an address to an emergency NATO summit taking place in Brussels. It's the first of three urgent meetings that President Biden and world leaders are holding today in response to the Russian invasion. Zelensky told the assembled leaders that the scariest part of the war is not having clear answers to requests for help. Before addressing the NATO leaders, Zelensky recorded a plea in English, asking people around the world to protest against Russia's war. Come from your offices, your homes, your schools and universities. Come in the name of peace. Come with Ukrainian symbols to support Ukraine, to support freedom, to support life. Come to your squares, your streets. Make yourselves visible and heard. Say that people matter, freedom matters, peace matters. Shortly after Zelensky addressed NATO leaders, Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said the military alliance would provide more military and humanitarian aid. President Zelensky addressed us with an impassioned message, thanking NATO allies for the significant support we are providing and stressing the vital importance of even more military assistance. Allies are also equipping uh, Ukraine with significant military supplies, including anti-tank and air defense systems and drones, which are proving highly effective. Ukraine's Navy reported it destroyed a large Russian landing ship near the port city of Berdyansk in southeastern Ukraine, about 50 miles south of Mariupol. 
The Senate Judiciary Committee holds a fourth and final day of hearings on the historic Supreme Court nomination of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Legal experts and interest groups will weigh in. Jackson's testimony is done after two long days of often combative questioning by Republicans. Christopher Martinez reports. Republicans' main line of attack has been that Jackson is soft on crime, and in particular, that she's too sympathetic to child pornographers when it comes to sentencing decisions. Lindsey Graham is a Republican from South Carolina. I think the best way to deter people from getting on a computer and viewing thousands and hundreds and over time maybe millions, the population as a whole, of children being exploited and abused every time somebody clicks on is to put their ass in jail. For the second time in two days, Graham stormed out of the hearing after finishing his questions. Democrats, in contrast, have taken a far more positive view of Jackson's record. Democrat John Ossoff of Georgia referred to a court opinion Jackson wrote in 2019 requiring a former Trump administration official to testify to Congress. That's the opinion where Jackson wrote the now-famous words, Presidents are not kings. I'm Christopher Martinez. North Korea has fired possibly its biggest intercontinental ballistic missile. The launch extended North Korea's barrage of tests this year. Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said the missile possibly landed near Japanese territorial waters off the northern island of Hokkaido. He called the launch unforgivably reckless. South Korea criticized the North for breaking a self-imposed moratorium on ICBM tests. South Korea responded with live fire drills of its own missiles. Idaho has become the first state to enact a law modeled after a Texas law banning abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy. Republican Governor Brad Little yesterday signed into law the measure that allows people who would have been family members if the pregnancy were carried to term to sue the doctor performing the abortion. Opponents called it unconstitutional. A rapist would not be able to file a lawsuit under the law, but a rapist's relatives could. Governor Little said in a letter explaining his decision that, quote, I stand in solidarity with all Idahoans who seek to protect the lives of preborn babies. Texas Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton has appealed to the state Supreme Court to reinstate Texas rules allowing child abuse investigations of parents who provide gender-affirming care for their transgender children. Paxton acted a day after a Texas appeals court reaffirmed its decision blocking the state investigations. The Texas ACLU and the LGBTQ rights group Lambda Legal said Paxton's decision was not surprising but was disappointing and dangerous. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Um, nominate the Supreme Court Justice nomination hearings began this past Monday. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson is making history as the first black woman nominated to be an associate justice for the Supreme Court of the United States. This is the which once upheld racial segregation in America and uh, with the exception of Thurgood uh, Marshall and uh, Clarence Thomas they have been filled 
only with white men for the past 233 years. If confirmed, Brown Jackson would also become the sixth woman justice in the court's history and the first federal public defender nominated court. Let's go to a clip from CNN about who is Katanji Brown Jackson. When you become a judge, you take an oath to look only at the law. Katanji Brown Jackson has now become the first black woman ever nominated to become a Supreme Court justice. If confirmed, she will replace retiring Justice Stephen Breyer, a mentor for whom she served as a law clerk in 1999. Justice Breyer plucked me from obscurity and gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. Judge Jackson's resume is packed with prestigious accomplishments. Her classmates at her Miami area high school voted her most likely to succeed. And as a prescient teenager, she said she wanted to go into law and eventually have a judicial appointment. She did just that, graduating from Harvard, both undergrad and law school, becoming a judge on the federal court in Washington, D.C., beginning in 2013. During her confirmation hearing for that nomination. Thanks as well to uh, Representative Ryan. She was introduced by well-known Republican and former House Speaker Paul Ryan, to whom she's related by marriage. Our politics may differ, but my praise for Katanji's intellect, for her character, for her integrity, it's unequivocal. Jackson served on the federal district court for almost a decade. She issued her most high-profile opinion in 2019 when she ruled that former White House counsel to President Trump, Don McGahn, should testify before the House Judiciary Committee as part of its investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. In a 118-page opinion, Jackson rejected the argument that Trump had the sole authority to decide whether he and senior aides must comply with congressional subpoenas. She wrote, The primary takeaway from the past 250 years of recorded American history is that presidents are not kings. Last December, a few months after she was elevated to the federal appeals court in D.C., Judge Jackson again opposed Trump's arguments, this time sharply questioning the former president's efforts to keep his White House records out of the hands of the January 6th Select Committee. Are you saying that we should enjoin the archivist from producing anything at all in response to Congress? Jackson joined a three-judge panel in unanimously rejecting Trump's arguments. His White House records were eventually turned over to the committee after the Supreme Court refused to step in. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. President Biden's pledge to nominate a black woman for the open Supreme Court seat has drawn criticism from some Republicans as affirmative action or a quota. Now 51 years old, Judge Jackson has responded to questions about race from Republicans before, carefully addressing the role it plays in her professional life during her confirmation hearing last spring. I don't think that race plays a role in the kind of judge that I have been and that I would be. But she didn't discount it entirely. I've experienced life uh, in, in perhaps a different way than some of my colleagues because of who I am. 
Alrighty, so there you go. I'd now like to welcome our guests. I'd like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth, Barbara Arnwine, veteran civil rights and human rights leader and advocate. She is currently the president and founder of the Transformative Justice Coalition. For 26 years, she was the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. She is an attorney and she is nationally and internationally known for her work uh, protecting uh, the Civil Rights Act. And she's also a campaigner, a human rights uh, campaigner on several issues on the ground. Barbara Arnwine, welcome back. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me today. Alrighty, I'd also like to welcome Laura Carlson, the director of the America's Program. She works with Just Associates and International Feminist Organization. She's based in Mexico City, where she's a regular contributor to America's Updater, Foreign Policy and Focus, Counterpunch, and several Spanish language publications. She's also a television host and commentator on globalization, the drug war, immigration, and gender issues for various international news outlets. Laura Carlson, welcome. Thank you very much, Margaret. Good morning to the audience. And Barbara, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and Barbara, let's let's start with you. We're going to be talking about Cory Booker's interventions and all the emotion that that brought up for for me and and many others. But first, let us just start. We just heard an overview about her qualifications, but it, you know, so no no point even going through all of that. But just let's um, discuss a bit about what has happened during this hearing. Was it really about Katanji Brown Jackson or about something else? I mean, your your thoughts on this whole I don't want to use the word S show <laughs> that was a hearing <laughs> well, and, and also the the hearings are continuing today, so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about what you know will be happening today, Barbara Arnwine. Yes. Well first of all, I want everyone to know that this is certainly not your usual hearing. Uh, the badgering that we've seen of the, um, of the um, candidate for the office, uh, you know, of, uh, to be appointed to the Supreme, to be confirmed to the Supreme Court, this is not your normal confirmation hearing. Uh, they have treated her like she's a criminal on trial. Uh, the harassive uh, you're telling her at times, don't even answer. You know, I don't want to hear your answer. So why ask the question? I mean, there's been, you know, all of these really nasty, ugly, vicious, very, very racist, I think, uh, you know, attacks on her during this entire process. And it belies not only what the role is, of the Senate Judiciary Committee, but it also belies the facts, the truth, the evidence, everything. All we've seen is a lot of pandering to the, uh, you know, public, uh, who they hope are watching them, trying to get some clips for their base. Uh, it's all the GOP politics, you know, people not clear, you know, who's going to be running for president in 2024 who's trying to put themselves up as a potential vice presidential nominee. Uh, we've seen just some viciousness, but I do want people to understand 
that a lot of what we've also seen fundamentally challenges the concepts of our Constitution. The, uh, you know, in the clip that you played from um, Lindsey Graham saying he just wants to throw people in jail, uh, the disrespect for the Sixth Amendment, the disrespect for the adversarial process, the disrespect for the role that judges are cast into uh, trying to weigh and balance uh, sentencing guidelines, weigh and balance um, defendants' um, you know, positions, probationary officers' positions, and uh, defendants' positions in criminal cases. The other thing I want to say is that people are really confused. Out of the 7,000 cases, that are presented to the court every year, and they only take 100 to 150 of these cases. Uh, I want people to really take a time and just go back through the dockets of the courts for the last couple of years, and I want you to try to find their criminal justice cases. There are a number of them. Uh, and I want you to try to find pornography cases. There's not that many, frankly. Uh, in fact, I'm looking at their current docket, and I can't find one yet. Um, you know, it's just a real distortion of what the court does and what the court is and what our fundamental uh, justice system should look like. I also want to really point out fast that this is just old school. I mean, we saw the same identical soft on crime arguments used against Thurgood Marshall. We know that Constance Baker Motley was attacked when she was put up in, I'm talking about 1965 people in 1966. And indeed, Constance Baker Motley, who should have been on the court at some point, languished for 40-plus years at the district court level. There is some injustice here that has been repeated. The same white supremacist uh, operations are yet again trying to uh, hurt a black woman. They know they can't stop her, but they want to humiliate her. They want to use this as an opportunity to publicly uh, sexually assault her by making her have to go over and over and over and over again about, you know, sexual details while these creeps are sitting up there getting what other whatever, you know, satisfaction they're getting from something that has really nothing to do with the performance the operations of the Supreme Court. It has been a disgrace. I think that, that we never should have this happen again in any hearing. It, she's been accused of nothing, nothing, no misconduct, no sexual harassment, but she was treated like she was on trial for criminal activity. Shame on every single one of them. Thank God for Cory Booker. Thank God for Alex Padilla. Thank God for everyone who has been there to hug her, encourage her, and say you will live through yet another disgraceful display by the white men on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Yeah, thank you for that, Barbara. We're going to be actually playing a slice of a clip from uh, Cory Booker a little later on oh, in our discussion. and and. 
course, you know, some of the points that he has raised. But uh, Laura Carlson, uh, on to you. You're usually in our, our weekly roundtable. It seems to me as though this whole show was really about the midterm elections. It was about 2024. And it was continuing the, you can't even call it a dog whistle anymore. You have to call it foghorns of the, the racism and sexism of the conservatives. Well, it seems as though now the whole of the Republican Party playing up to their base, including, um, you know, this whole conspiracy theory mess of, of QAnon. Uh, Laura Carlson, your thoughts. Well, first of all, I, I agree with, uh, with Barbara's reading of what's going on, that this is not at all a usual hearing. Um, that what we're seeing is, is the criminalization of the candidate, not just a review Thanks. of her record. And we're seeing very blatant, uh, racist and sexist attacks against her in the process. I do think that it has to do with what's going on, um, with positioning. For the year 2024, for uh, elections coming up, but I also think it goes beyond that. I mean, Leahy said about it being irregular that you had a Senator Leahy, you had a Republican member who went way over time allotted to him, ignored the rules of the committee, badgered the nominee, wouldn't let her answer questions. I've never seen anything like this, and I've been here for 48 years. So that gives you an idea of the depth of this attack that is taking place. You had, of course, much higher stakes in the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings because there were real, he was accused of real crimes with real witnesses there, and yet you did not see nearly this much rudeness and aggression as we're seeing in, this, in these hearings now. The interruption by uh, white male members of the committee was a constant Lindsey Graham, uh, John Cornyn, Ted Cruz. And interruption, as all women know, is a tool of male domination. It not only cuts off your voice, but it expresses domination, you know, expresses that, that power relationship that uh, exists and that they want to perpetuate. Uh, the media has played a role in this as well. Uh, there was an article in the paper today saying, pointing out how they failed to convey this image of angry white men screaming and interrupting a black woman, and they tend to reduce it to bipartisan or to partisanship taking place there. But again, I would insist that it goes deeper that, than that, and it goes it goes down to the um, outright defense of a white patriarchal system on display. And now, thanks to the, the Trump era, uh, willing to show itself up for exactly what it is. And this actually may be one of the benefits of what we have. When you see it from outside, it's almost unbelievable um, in how the discourse has has become so uncivilized lately to the fact where you can have a senator using as a criticism the, the, the fact that the judge was related to a school that promoted anti-racism education. That was her criticism, you know, of the judge's history and so, and also progressive indoctrination. 
Now, when did progressive get to be a dirty word? When did it, it get to be this buzzword? But that's what we saw all the way, all the way through the hearings. Um, Dick Durbin said senators are using it to showcase their talking points for November elections. And, and that was certainly true. They were bringing out all their worst and most blatantly racist and sexist arguments <clears throat> in point after point that they challenged the judge on. Uh, but again, they were also calling out the most, the most conservative, the alt-right base of the, of the Trump contingencies. And they were again profile, profiling a party that has completely gone to the dark side in terms of, of, of social justice or any real commitment to law and democracy in the country. Yes, thank you, Laura Carlson. And uh, Barbara Arnwine, back to you, because Lindsey Graham and, and others have been making uh, much ado about um, the the hearings on uh, Kavanaugh, right? Also, we recall very well uh, the hearings with, with Clarence Thomas and saying, well, you know, if you think these are contentious, uh, what about those hearings? Look at what uh, they were put through. But excuse me. They were entirely different situations. I mean, these were both men, one white, one black, who were both accused incredibly of, um, you know, sexual harassment and, and sexual abuse. It, it just seems to me, Barbara Arnwine, you used the word rape, uh, a public rape. And, and I felt just watching it, just, you know, you know, even as another black woman, you felt, you know, that this was like a, a kind of a, a public lynching where the person wasn't hung or killed or, or kind of a public uh, tar and feathering. I mean, they were really having a... Uh, a, a, a good time with that. And then, you know, asking her to define Senator Marsha Brown of Tennessee, asking her to define a woman. What is a woman? <laughs> uh, Barbara Arnwine, before we go to station break, when we come back from station break, by the way, we are going to play that Cory Booker clip and then continue the discussion with both of you. So hopefully you'll be able to stay with us. But Barbara Arnwine, your thoughts? Oh, <laughs> uh, listen, I mean, this. Uh, when you were saying uh, bullhorn, listen, this is actually the dogs, the hound dogs chasing the runaway slave. That's what we saw. We saw them braying, uh, you know, acting like a bunch, a pack of bloody bloodhounds. It was absolutely outrageous what we had to watch. But also we got to, I mean, what I found appalling was just how stupid and I'm, I'm talking about intellectually incompetent, some of these uh, senators were. I, you know, I mean, I think they embarrassed themselves. Josh Hawley, uh, Tom Cotton, oh, my God, how in the world? Uh, you know, these people just show that they have no understanding of our basic operations of our legal system. Uh, they tried to be pretend lawyers. They, they did a horrible job. They misstated, got it all twisted. She had to keep schooling fools, as I say. She had to school fools all day long because they were being foolish. And then Marsha Blackburn, last night, everybody, if you haven't seen it, she had the nerve to try to tweet out one of her complaints 
and she showed again that she doesn't even know anything about our Constitution. She says the Constitution grants us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not abortion. Everybody, the Constitution, those words, life, liberty, and the pursuit of uh, happiness is from the Declaration of Independence, not the Constitution. The Constitution grants us nothing in that regard. It is absolutely absurd that these people are making judgments on an intelligent, highly accomplished, uh, sacrificial third public servant over these many years, a woman who has devoted herself to being the best judge she can be, and here she has to go up against people who don't even know the difference between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. They're just flat dumb, which makes you wonder. Again, that we got to really work harder as citizens about who we elect to office. If anything, one of the lessons out of this hearing has to be that the Senate quality of who sits there, senators, have to be improved. You know, uh, I just thought there were so many deficiencies that we saw. You know, they're questioning substantive due process. They're disagreeing with the Tenth Amendment. There are issues around uh, equal protection, uh, even questioning Loving versus Virginia. Uh, you know, going into you know these uh, you know these all of these anger arguments of white supremacy, and they put it on display, and it was despicable. It should never ever happen again. I hope everybody in the world who can vote in the midterms get out there because we got to change the Senate. This is unacceptable. Yeah, and and the person who came out with that, um, you know, the the law um, on interracial marriage, I mean, walked it back a bit. But how did that fall out of his mouth in the first place? You know what I mean? It, it just really shows. Um, he got married to a white man. I mean, it's 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 just their their ugliness, you know, on display because she's married to a white man who was sitting behind her supporting her through this whole process and they're saying in essence you shouldn't even have that right uh that's how racist embedded retrograde uh you know uh just you know the afterthought acting these folks are Right, and uh, that's a Loving versus uh, Virginia case. Also, apparently, she's related by marriage to the yeah. former um, Congresswoman uh, Ryan, right, who was pretty conservative right. himself. And just the outrageousness that all of this, Lindsey Graham's outrage, et cetera, this woman has been through a congressional hearing before, and none of this was brought up. So it just goes to show you. But uh, Barbara and Laura, uh, stay with us. We're going to continue this. We're going to take a short station break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You won't want to miss any of this. Boys and girls, 
listen up. You can be anything in the world, and God we trust. An architect, doctor, maybe an actress, but nothing comes easy. It takes much practice. Like I met a woman who's becoming a star. She was very beautiful, leaving people in awe. Singing songs, Lena Horne, but the younger version hung with the wrong person. Got a stronger that. Sniffing up drugs, all in the note is yes I can, and the artist is Nas. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Check out our website at sojourneradio.org. By the way, we just got everything sorted with our website. Those of you who've been following it notice there's been an issue with the frequency of our posts. Well, welcome back. Um, we are able to now regularly update our Facebook page and our handle on Twitter at is at so true radio also that's our handle on instagram and we are uh worldwide and nationwide on soundcloud and today we'd like to give a shout out to our soundcloud listeners in that great city of detroit the motor city of detroit and internationally we would like to give a shout out to our soundcloud listeners in south africa this is margaret prescott host of sojourner truth and we're getting some uh response and analysis of the congressional hearings continuing today of Katanji Brown Jackson, who's been nominated by President Biden uh, to fill the seat of uh, Justice uh, Beyer on the U.S. Supreme Court. And she has been put through fire, grilled uh, by the uh, right wing, by it seemed as though the entire Republican Party uh, right now having these views. Uh, before we continue with our guests, our two guests, Barbara Arnwine, an attorney, a, a civil rights campaigner, uh, Laura Carlson, a journalist who's based in, in Mexico City. Let's go now to a clip of Senator uh, Cory Booker, the only uh, black person on the Judiciary Committee. Let's go to that clip now. I just want to say, you got here how every black woman in America who's gotten anywhere has done by being <laughs> like Ginger Rogers said, I did everything Fred Astaire did, but backwards in heels. <laughs> and I want to tell you when I look at you, this is why I get emotional. I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're a person that is so much more than your race and gender. You're a Christian, you're a mom, you're, you're, you're an intellect, you love books. But for me, I'm sorry, I, I, it's hard for me not to look at you and not see my mom, not to see my... My cousins, one of them who had to come here and sit behind you. She had to be, she had to have your back. I see my ancestors and yours. Nobody's going to steal the joy of that woman in the street or the calls that I'm getting or the texts. Nobody's going to steal that joy. You have earned this spot. You are worthy. You are a great American. It's going to be a well-charted Senate floor because it's not going to stop. They're going to accuse you of this and that. Heck, in honor of your person who shares your birthday, you might be called a communist. But don't worry, my sister. Don't worry. God has got you. And how do I know that? Because you're here. And I know what it's taken for you to sit in that seat. Today you're my star. You are my harbinger of hope. This country is getting better and better and better. 
And when that final vote happens, and you ascend onto the onto the highest court in the land, I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest country in the world, the United States of America, will be better because of you. Thank you. So, um, Laura Carlson, uh, we'll go to you. Um, I know, Barbara, you've got a lot to say about about this. Having been attorney yourself, a black woman attorney, um, you know exactly what he's talking about. But Laura Carlson, let's start with you. I mean, what he said, um, very emotional, very complimentary. I mean, a lot of uh, American U.S. patriotism there. Again, you know, the greatest country in the world, you know, yada, 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 the country, this very hopeful note that the country will be a lot better uh, for that. And, you know, Laura Carlson, it's interesting that members of, of Congress always feel they have to couch, um, you know, what they're saying you know, around the American flag. You, you're you based in, you're, you're a U.S. citizen, you're based in, in Mexico City, and that's really not how uh, 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 if not most of the global south, um, uh, you know, sees it. People get quite put out uh, by reference by anybody of any color about the United States being the greatest country in the world and it's moving, you know, uh, forward in a good direction, etc. While a lot of people at the base may have a, another story or people in other parts of the world may have another story. Uh, uh, Laura Carlson, your thoughts. Margaret, it's funny that you should ask me exactly this because it was that was my first reaction. There were two. One is that it is a moving speech and it does represent, you know, a long line. I see my ancestors and yours. You are worthy. It's affirming. But the other was just exactly that, that really you look at it and her confirmation cannot be seen as a grand triumph for the system. It's basically just a small, although important, measure of justice within a huge history of injustice. Um, and the, the, it's another wall that's been pushed down. But as the aggressive nature of the questioning and the racist and sexist slurs remind us, it's just how high those walls are, those walls of exclusion. And they're being reconstructed daily by this white patriarchal system. So Judge Jackson has a huge task in front of her, and she's the person to do it as a voice for justice. But this rhetoric that this is an achievement for the U.S. political system, an historic landmark and a proof that we're making progress, um, I would celebrate her confirmation. I'd be the first to celebrate her confirmation. I hope it happens and follow her career. I think she can do a lot of good, despite, of course, still being in the minority in terms of the uh, liberal conservative balance. But the system should not be patting itself on the back for this. This is the result of movement work that elected Joe Biden and of Katanji Brown-Jackson's excellent qualifications. She should have been there long ago, or someone like her should have been there long ago. For outside witnesses, you know, today they're bringing in the outside witnesses, and that will be an important thing to look at. But yeah, again, it's really it's really hard to understand this concept, almost this self-righteous concept that always comes up within the U.S. 
political system in terms of trying to ignore the flaws and then when the flaws are finally addressed, considering it a major, tri- a major triumph. Right, and, and Barbara Arnwine, I mean, I, you know, it's true he wrapped it in, in the flag and we understand the, the politics, you know, behind him doing that, right? Um, I'm glad he said what he said and it was really very, very emotional. I mean, it was the, it was the one time that she was brought to tears, that Katanji, um, uh, uh, Rob Jackson was brought to tears. Her husband, apparently, he had wept earlier, I think, in the, in the hearing. But what got to me and, and, and brought me to tears is when uh, the story of her when she was a student at Harvard and you know how it is having a particularly rough time and passing another uh, black student who just looked at her and understood exactly and said persevere. Now my daughter went to Harvard as an undergrad student and you know went through hell frankly given the racism sexism and homophobia, I mean, all of it, all all mixed up. Um, so, Barbara Arnwine, you have lived this. You have lived what Cory Booker was describing. Um, tell us your reaction to that. And I loved how he also talked earlier, not in this clip, but about about Harriet Tubman and all of what she went through. And as black women, all of what we have been through, look at what Anita Hill went through, okay, and that whole Clarence Thomas thing. Um, Just some uh, final thoughts from you, Barbara Arnwine. Well, he brilliantly wove the tapestry of the black woman's struggle in the United States. And he was saying to her, it doesn't matter how stupid these fools are acting, that ultimately, you know, history, ultimately you will prevail, and that this is just nothing but, you know, their their insanity. Uh, but that's been the basis, you know, of racism, that racism is, you know, at, at its core an irrational uh, evil. And, uh, and people say, no, you know, it's economic. Not really. I mean, because sometimes we see people do things, uh, adversely economically because of their racism, where they could be making money, but they prefer not to do it because they hate blacks so much or Latinos, whatever. I thought, you know, Laura, you know, thank you so much for your points. I just want to point out that black women, we're the reason why she's there. Uh, our voting, as has been pointed out over the years, made the difference. Twelve years ago, I sat with the White House, uh, Obama White House, and said, you need to appoint a black woman. They got so angry at me, they excluded me from their chambers for two years. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so watching history turn around, watching the shift, watching the black women that are now ahead of some of the white women's organizations that would not you know, support us back then, watching uh, She Will Rise being created by Kim Tignor and all of the black women's uh, political groups that have strengthened and gotten stronger and are now new to this fight. I just think that we have to understand that we take this moment, we take his sermonette, I call it the harbinger of hope sermonette, and we use that to build our our girls, we use that to build our sons, we use that in our community to remind ourselves that we always fight. But yes, there is an impossible love that black people have for this nation. It's the same disdain 
it's uh, under you know it's underwritten by disdain, confusion, anger, frustration, disappointment. But at the same time, there is an impossible love, and it's just true, and it's just something that we have to keep fighting for. And I want to just laugh about some of the backlash. Every black show I've been on, every person I've spoken to, no matter what they tried to talk about, no matter how they tried to operate, this is the only thing black people want to talk about is what's happening to her. And that means that there will be a cultural shift within our community in response to what has happened. Uh, I've heard you know, nothing but, you know, reactions. And Kendi X's book that uh, Ted Cruz attacked, that Marsha Blackburn attacked, is the number one bestseller on Amazon right now. Uh, so, you know, we just got to understand the way we operate, the way we take these harms, these hurts, these spikes, uh, and how we build it for a new and better, not only America, but a better humanity, that that is who we are as a people, that's who we always have been, that's who we will continue to be, and they can bray at all the stupid they want to, but we will continue to push for it because that's what we do. Right. Well, on that note, I'm afraid uh, Laura Carlson and Barbara Arnwine, we're going to have to leave it there. We could really spend the whole hour on on this. We'll we'll have you both uh, both back. And, um, you know, Barbara and Laura, given what you all have said, I think there's a lot of fear that black people, brown people have been treated so shamefully, so badly, so violently in this country that we must be so angry that we'll turn around and treat white people the same way. And that certainly from what you just said, Barbara Arnwine, has not been the case when you look at how many black and brown lives have been laid down fighting in, in, in wars for this, this country, some of which unjust wars, people from other parts of the world Laura Carlson will have something to say about that as well. But we are going to have to leave it there. Thank both of you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, All righty. Okay, um, we are actually going to have to take a, a, a moment to uh, run our weekly Earth Minute, which we didn't get to do uh, because given the hearings that we're playing. So we'll do that right now. Then we'll quickly get to um, Mr. Phillips, who's waiting in the wings to speak with us for our weekly Earth Watch. Let's go to the Earth Minute right now. March 21st celebrated the annual International Day of Forests. This year's theme, named by the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, is Forests and Sustainable Production and Consumption. Rather than promoting policies and initiatives that halt the destruction of forests, however, the FAO is a driving force behind deforestation and forest degradation. Through policies such as the intentional mislabeling of non-native industrial tree plantations as forests and enabling the conversion of forests to plantations by calling the practice sustainable forest management, the FAO further fuels the threat to forests. The promotion of forest destruction under the guise of sustainability is devastating and serves to accelerate large-scale deforestation and associated human rights abuses. 
For the Earth Minute and the Sojourner Truth Show, this is Teresa Church from Global Justice Ecology Project. All righty, and a very good introduction actually to our weekly Earth Watch. We also partner with Global Justice Ecology Project. For that, I'd like to welcome our guest, Philip Owen, environmental activist and founding member of Geosphere, a nonprofit organization registered in South Africa for more than two decades. Geosphere has been raising awareness regarding the environmental and social impacts of large-scale industrial timber plantations. They also call them forests. Um, the organization networks with the Southern African and international organizations, including Timber Watch, South Africa Water Caucus, Global Forest Coalition, and many others. Philip Owen, thank you for joining us. Hi, Margaret. Thank you very much for inviting me to your program. Well, let, let's start with... Start with this business about a forest versus a, a timber uh, plantation. Um, tell us the distinction that you make, Philip Owen. We know forests mainly as of industrial timber plantations. The region where I'm at is called where the sun rocked, we pulled down Mozambique. Um, this area used to be the local grassland, vegetation for this region, according to an estimated 4,000 different plots. So most of these grassland, many of more than 600 hectares, have been transplanted under the guy forest, because you cannot call a forest a monoculture of timber, you know. Primarily, it's, it's exclusive to regionally imported from Mexico and eucalyptus imported from Australia. So these trees, are, these plantations are established as massive monocultures with huge impacts because the indigenous plants, they need sunlight, they need fire in the management, um, and of course, they, uh, that gets excluded to them. So you find a massive tie of, of the indigenous vegetation and therefore then a loss of those natural services upon which we depend. You know, things like water retention, flood prevention, prevention of soil erosion, etc. So these plantations, um, they are not forests. Because when you think of a forest, you think of something that's life-giving. Um, it's not like these timber plantations, which actually impact so negatively on the natural ecosystem services we depend upon. Right, and and tell us too. I mean, you you mentioned water, just the impacts on biodiversity and soil sustainability of these kinds of uh, timber uh, plantations. Philip Owen. Exactly. You know, uh, uh, these plantations are evergreen timber species, so it's not like the indigenous trees, which when it becomes dry in the winter months, they drop their leaves, and it's almost as if you can see the skeletons. It indicates that they are not using water at the time when there is no water or very little water, you know. So these timber plantations, of course, are evergreen and they continue to consume water due to the The roots of eucalyptus trees have been measured 60 meters into the soil profile. So that's how deep they can go in their search to, to mine the groundwater. Um, there's a eucalyptus plantation close by where there was a, a place called Nukubalam, where there was some studies done. Where the plantation was established, 
after three years, all the water, uh, the surface water resources dried up. So the little streams and fountains. After the plantation was eventually harvested at 16 years, it took another. Right. Okay. Um, you cut out for a minute there, uh, Philip Owen. I, I hope you're hearing me okay. But, um, you know, the uh, uh, part of the use of these. Uh, sorry, you, you cut in and out a little bit. I was going to ask you about um, the burning of biomass for energy production because people are looking at these kind of, you know, the burning of, of biomass as, you know, good for the environment. I'd like to get your thoughts on that, yeah. but also to say a bit about the alternative models of forestry. Um, Philip Owen. Uh, thank you, Margaret. It makes it crazy that uh, burning can be seen as renewable in some way, you know. Um, it is said in the U.S. and in the U.S. said burning biomass of the neutral part. And obviously the trees grow back and can theoretically absorb the carbon. But they burn very and it takes a long time to grow back. So it creates a carbon debt which we can no longer really afford. The other thing, of course, Burning biomass for 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 electricity on a lot um, produces the demand for more wood, and thus the establishment of more of these industrial monoculture timber plantations, which are established as fuel wood plantations, and those plantations, of course, have a massive negative impact on biodiversity resources in places where they are grown. Um, so it's uh, it's not a good biomass on a large scale. On a planet that's burning, yeah, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be burning, uh, you know, stuff for for in, for energy production. And with regards to sustainable models of first production, I is the absolute We have to get diversity back into the systems. At the moment, when you go into these timber plantations, it's super quiet. You don't hear insects. You don't hear birds because there's no indigenous food resources for the animals and, and, and you know, to eat. Um, so it's important to bring back that diversity to the system because, of course, we are all stronger um, if we are diversified. You know, in diversity, there's strength. In diversity, there's resilience. So, you know, in, in animals, it's so important to bring animals back into these forest systems. We, we shouldn't see a forest merely as a collection of trees. It's also interesting to note that timber plantations are not, uh, you know, uh, a carbon. It's, it's not good for carbon sequestration. In fact, when you establish a timber plantation, you become a source of carbon for the first couple of decades. It's only once the system stabilizes that it can be a carbon sink. And then it's not merely that which is responsible for carbon sequestration. It is the living ecosystem. And the more the better at sequestering carbon. So we have to reforest in the real sense of the word, not just trees, a real forest in all of its diversity and complexity. 
Right. And, you know, just, um, you know, finally, we, I, at least I personally have been, uh, supported this effort uh, by the Movement for Land Struggle in Bahia in Brazil because you're dealing with uh, South Africa, Mozambique, etc. And then uh, across the world in Brazil, you see similar things happening um, with these industrial uh, plantations of non-native uh, toxic uh, eucalyptus trees that are displacing the bio, biodiversity and they're talking about creating agroforestry systems right with native uh, forest species just along the lines of, of what you are discussing so um, this this is an urgent problem and crisis for the planet isn't it uh, Philip Owen so for people who want to learn more about this who want to find out more about your work about the work of, of Geosphere uh, what should they do and any quick final thoughts from you uh, Philip Owen um, well, I want to say I was fortunate to know Ricardo Pereira was the whole rainforest movement based in Uruguay I think it's Deforestation is much worse than deforestation um, because they would harvest the trees, they would leave some diversity and they would leave, and the forest would be able to regenerate. But with afforestation, a company would come in, they would uh, destroy the natural diversity, they would plant monoculture timber plantations, and they would stay forever altering the environment and making it really, really, really difficult. Um, to rehabilitate. Um, I thank you for asking. Well, people can visit Geosphere on Facebook. They can see Geosphere on Twitter. Um, Geosphere Africa has got a nice YouTube channel which people can visit. And if anybody's on Clubhouse, it would be great if they join the Geosphere Club on Clubhouse where we have uh, interesting discussions around forestry and energy issues. But thanks a, a lot, Margaret, for the opportunity. Alrighty, thank you so very much uh, for joining us. We are out of time. I would like to remind our listeners that if you go to our social media, you'll get information about a key event happening today, 11 o'clock uh, Pacific time, where I will be in conversation with Selma James, who is a founder of the Wages for Housework campaign, uh, marking the 50th anniversary. Uh, that's uh, at 11 o'clock uh, this morning, and hope uh, you will join us. Go to the social media or go to the global women's strike uh, dot, uh, net website to get information. I'd like to thank all of today's guests. I'd like to uh, thank our engineer for today, Yael. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! Sojourner Truth will be back tomorrow with very special programming. You won't want to miss that. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and y'all please remember to stay safe.